lowest to highest, a guitar strings go E, A, D, G, B, E. That's called standard tuning, and if you change at least one of those strings, you get what's called an alternative tuning. One of my favorite alternative tunings goes D, A, D, G, A, D, because people sometimes call it dad gad. Then again, as a sax player, I play with alternative tuning all the time. I just have to not warm up enough. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I am so glad that you've joined me to talk about music played in drop D tuning, music played in drop C tuning, and sometimes music played in dadgad tuning. We're going to be talking about a very strong song that's played in an alternative guitar tuning today. I'm very, very excited about it, so find a comfortable place to sit, turn up the volume, and please do enjoy the show. Guitar tunings are a whole cool world that you can start to get into the better you get at guitar and the more kinds of guitar sounds you want to get. And it's a kind of a cool thing to keep in mind when you're watching somebody play guitar. The more familiar you are with the instrument, the more you can kind of tell what a given guitar player might be doing on stage. You know, maybe she's playing in drop D, maybe he's playing in dad gad. You can see sometimes a guitar player will just notice that one of their strings is out of tune and they'll be, you know, tuning up in between songs. You can see them looking down at their tuner on the on the floor in front of them and so Sort of messing with the tuning peg, but sometimes they're retuning the guitar entirely. And if they're a big act, usually they have a whole bunch of guitars. You know, that's when you're a big enough act, you've got someone handing you your guitar as a guitar tech off stage who's tuning your guitars differently for you. And you're not just changing guitars because you want to get a different sound. I mean, yeah, maybe you go to the Les Paul for the rock song, you go to the Jaguar if you want to get a Jaguar sound. But a lot of times, what's happening there is the guitar that's being handed to the musician is tuned differently because on that song they're playing in a different tuning. That's actually one of the best reasons to bring multiple guitars to a gig. Um, As much as it's cool to have different sounds, it's very, very useful to not have to retune your guitar in the middle of a set because that's, you know, just sort of a lot of work. It's It's a whole thing to do. You need to retune the strings, make sure they're in tune with one another. It's very easy to get something wrong. You don't want to start a song with one of your strings off and realize that you did it wrong. So it can be a little bit fraught changing your tuning to an alternative tuning in the middle of a set. So it can be useful to have multiple guitars for that reason. So welcome to the show, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you've been listening. Welcome all the new listeners who've been joining over the last couple of months. I hope that as you catch up to real time and listen through the backlog, you've been having a good time and uh, sort of following the musical journey of this show over the past year and a half. And to those of you who've been there since the beginning, hey, I'm glad you're here too. Thank you so much to everyone who's been spreading the word, who's been telling friends. Again, I say this every episode, but that's just the number one best thing you can do to help Strong Songs is to tell people people about it. I'm always seeing people, especially now, asking, hey, what are some good podcasts I can listen to, you know, online, or maybe just asking their friends. And every time I see somebody recommend strong songs, it makes me very happy. So thank you to everyone who's been spreading the word about the show. Of course, the other thing you can do to support me is sign up for the Patreon that I have for this show. That's the only way that I make money off of strong songs. And I really want strong songs to kind of be the main enduring project of mine that I'm doing. And it's kind of slowly becoming that as more and more people sign 
sign up for the Patreon, which is which has been really exciting. So if you go over to the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash strong songs and sign up to support me. And I will say I recently did my first patrons only video. This is just a video answering questions about how I make the show. So it's not like Q&A questions exactly like we do on the show. It's more behind the scenes stuff. But it was pretty fun. Patrons had some fun questions about, you know, how I pick songs and things like that. And I also gave a little tour of the Strong Songs studio, just sort of showing where I work, the kinds of equipment that I use to make the show, all the musical instruments that I play. I don't have the most incredible home studio or anything like that. It's uh, It gets the job done and I really like it. I have a very optimized, but it was fun to take people through it and just sort of let everyone see where I work. I don't do Patreon exclusive episodes of the show. I really want the whole audience to be able to listen to the show. I totally understand that some people just can't sign up for the Patreon and that's fine. I don't want anyone to feel like they're missing out on episodes of Strong Songs. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing that I could do for patrons that wouldn't be, you know, holding back episodes of Strong Songs from all of you out there who haven't signed up for whatever reason. But if you do want to see that video, head on over to patreon.com slash strong songs. As always, I am very easy to get a hold of. If you have feedback on this show, questions for a future Q&A episode, music suggestions, really anything, um, you can shoot me an email at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Kirk, K-I-R-K Hamilton, and I'm on Instagram at Kirk underscore Hamilton, and still having fun on Instagram, sort of sharing some of the some of the music that I've been listening to on my morning walks via Instagram story which is a really nice way to do that. And man, Portland looks beautiful in the spring, so it's nice to also just get to show people who don't live in Portland uh, how nice Portland can be. Okay, let's get into it. Let's get into this episode's Strong Song. This is an artist I've been looking forward to talking about since I started making this show. This is someone who has been requested by lots and lots of listeners, so I'm super psyched to finally really talk about him. I've mentioned him many times in the past, but it is time to focus an entire episode on his work. Specifically, we're going to focus on one song off of his one finished album. It's a song about heartbreak. It's a song about saying farewell. It is a sad and haunting song on it fairly sad and haunted album, but it is also so, so beautiful. This is our last goodbye I hate to feel the love between us die But it's over I just hear this and then I'll go You gave me more to live for More than your hell Yes, it's finally time to talk about the great Jeff Buckley, singer, songwriter, and brilliant musician through the lens of his masterpiece, Last Goodbye. Of course, when I call Last Goodbye Jeff Buckley's masterpiece, I really only mean that it is one of his masterpieces. He wrote many great songs and released one album that I would also consider a masterwork. That would be 1994's Grace, the only complete studio album that he released. Buckley came up as a singer and songwriter in New York in the early 1990s, and he released one studio album, Grace, and was touring to support it and working on a follow-up called My Sweetheart the Drunk when he drowned in 1997 in a freak boating accident. As a result, Grace kind of stands as this incredible album that's also a really kind of heartbreaking look at what might have been. It's so polished, it's so well put together, and the music on it is so organic that it could really only have come from the result of a whole lot of workshopping and, you know, just gradually letting the song metamorphosize into its final form, especially some of the early tracks on this album. They're just, they're not really like most people's songs. They don't work like even a lot of the songs that we talk about on Strong Songs. They're these beautiful 
beautiful flowing creations that clearly just he worked on and worked on and worked on over the years to get them to the state that they were in when they recorded Grace. So Buckley has always been seen as a tragic figure and as a result a lot of his work has been preserved, a lot of his live recordings, a lot of his sort of sketches of songs. There's even a version of My Sweetheart the Drunk that's been released. It's called Sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk. I actually, it's hard for me to listen to sometimes because it's so not quite finished and listening to Grace, you can tell just how great his songs could be if he had the chance to finish them and that just makes me sad even though it's nice that so much of his music has been preserved and still exists in the world. So some of you might not actually be that familiar with Jeff Buckley if you're a Strong Songs listener. Of course, I've referenced him on past episodes. Most recently, I talked about his singing um, with relation to Robert Plant singing on uh, Stairway to Heaven because Buckley was very influenced by Plant and he had a kind of similar incredible high register and incredible scream. And you've also probably heard at the very least um, his cover of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which is one of the great tracks on Grace. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Even if you didn't know who was singing it, you've probably heard this track. It's been featured in tons of TV shows because it's one of the most beautiful recordings ever made by a human being. And the wild thing is, it's just him and his guitar, and he sat down and sang it. So while Hallelujah is probably the most visible and well-known track off of Grace, it's actually the least emblematic of the album because, like I said, it's just him and his guitar. And I mean, yeah, like part of it is that it's a cover, you know, it's not an original song, but it also comes down to the arrangement and the way that he plays it. I mean, it's, you know, beautiful guitar playing and unbelievably beautiful singing, but it's just, that's all it is, where the rest of the album is actually a much more arranged, much more elaborate production. That's especially true of the first three tracks on this album, which I think are of the album at its strongest, though it's really great throughout. The first three tunes are just bananas. Um, it opens with a tune called Mojo Pin that runs the dynamic gamut. I mean, it starts so, so quiet like this. I'm lying in my bed, the blanket is warm, this body will never be safe from home. I still feel your hair, black ribbons of cold, touch my skin, the key And by the end, it's just really, really intense. And that gives a sense of this album in general. This is an album with really high highs and really soft lows, uh, which is a really wonderful thing about it. The second track is called Grace, and I almost made this episode about Grace. I know some of you wanted to hear an episode about Grace. It's an amazing song as well, and it was really a toss-up between doing Grace and Last Goodbye. I decided on Last Goodbye for a couple of reasons, but Grace is an incredible piece of music. Oh my- 
It also has a really cool guitar part, and I'm going to be talking a lot about Buckley's guitar playing, the sort of particular way that he approached guitar playing and writing on guitar. And that's true of all of his original songs, though we're going to be focusing on Last Goodbye, which is the third track on Grace. This is our last goodbye. I hate to feel the love between us but it's over. So I don't want to spend too much time on broader context because there's a lot in the song that I want to talk about, but I do want to wholeheartedly recommend that all of you go and listen to Grace if you've never listened to it, if this is kind of your first introduction to Jeff Buckley's music outside of that recording of Hallelujah, or maybe another tune that you've heard. This album is incredible, and it's such a wonderful thing to sit down and really listen to. At the very least, if you've never heard Last Goodbye, I strongly recommend that you go listen to it before this episode just to get it in your ear. Now, when it comes to the full album, it can be a little bit intense because as you may have noticed even just from these examples, a lot of Jeff Buckley's songs are actually about death and about dreams. He seemed to sort of exist on this line between our world and some other world, the the world beyond our own, and he spent so much time contemplating his own death and his music that it's put into a, a whole new context by the fact that he did die unexpectedly only a few years after recording this album. A lot of his songs are so ethereal, they deal with these very abstract notions of dream and life after life. And that's part of the reason that his album has this kind of haunting sound to it. But it's also just his voice. I mean, he had one of the most beautiful voices that any human has ever had that's ever been recorded. I mean, a lot of people imitate Jeff Buckley, but no one will ever really sound like Jeff Buckley. There's so much I could say about his singing, and I'm sure we'll talk about it some, but actually I think that Buckley was just as remarkable a guitarist as he was a singer, and it was the intersection between his guitar playing and his singing that led to the music that was so distinctive. I mean, yes, he was a virtuoso vocalist, and I think that's borne out by how many people imitate him today, and how his style kind of took that Robert Plant style of singing, but refined it into something different that now you'll hear all over the place. Um, But I actually do think that his guitar playing was the key to what made his music so special and his music goes beyond just the incredible vocal performances and it becomes something richer something deeper and something even more distinct with all that in mind let's get into it let's talk about jeff buckley's last goodbye Like every song on Grace, Last Goodbye is very driven by the guitar. This is a guitar-heavy song. Almost all of the harmony coming from the song is coming from the guitar. The only other two musicians on this track are Mick Grundahl on the bass and Matt Johnson on the drums. They play bass and drums on the rest of this record, too. There are a few other musicians on this album, and there is a string section playing on Last Goodbye, just like on a few other tracks on this album. And those string arrangements are by Carl Berger, and they actually channel Buckley's guitar playing as well. So really, when I say that everything on this album is defined by his playing, I mean everything really, really is, even the string parts. 
pretty much every song on Grace was performed by Buckley live, and he sort of workshopped them over the years. There's a really fascinating um, album called Live at Chenet, which is a compilation of live sets that he did at a cafe called Chenet in New York, where it's just him and his Telecaster on a microphone, kind of riffing, freestyling, singing, doing all kinds of stuff. And he sings versions of the songs from Grace, and you can hear him just playing the song on guitar, and he kind of does everything himself. Everything is a lot looser, but all of the ingredients are there, and it's a fascinating thing if you really like Grace, to go back and listen to that, listen to Live at Chenet, just because you'll hear um, these sketched out, simple versions of the songs, even though all the parts are still in there. Well, this is our last goodbye. I hate to feel the love between us die. So Last Goodbye was actually called Unforgiven when it was in that format, but it gives some interesting insights into the guitar parts and then the guitar parts that would eventually get kind of blown out into the bigger band arrangement that we hear on Grace. This is our last goodbye. So that guitar is key to this song in more ways than one, and part of that is due to the way that the guitar is tuned, which is actually the first thing that I want to talk about. Before we get into that, though, let's just listen to the very beginning of the song, how it starts out actually starts in a really cool way. So before the bass and the drums even come in, there's something cool going on. It is a guitar sound that you've probably heard before, but you might not know what it is. The chords seem to slide up and down the neck of the guitar in a way more fluently than you could achieve with a finger. And that is, of course, because Jeff Buckley is using a slide on his guitar during this very introductory part. So a slide is basically a tube that goes over your finger and lets you slide a steady sort of solid object up and down the neck of the guitar. It's smooth and even so that it creates a smooth and even sound, but it lets you make that nice sliding sound that allows for a texture like that one. You'll actually hear a lot of blues soloists using slides in their solos as well in a more aggressive way. I am definitely no slide expert, but I do have a slide, so I got up my Telecaster and my slide to try to recreate this sound. you know, a little bit rough and ready, but that's the idea. However, the guitar's tuning is central to why a slide works. If you think about it, the slide is going to just cover the strings in the order in which they're strung. Like, you can't finger chords while also using a slide. I mean, you could. There, there I guess, are ways you could do that. But what, what he's doing here is just sliding the slide up and down the neck, which means that he's playing open chords. But those don't sound like the open chords on a standard-tuned guitar. That's because the guitars on Last Goodbye are tuned to an alternative tuning, one that I've actually never used outside of this song, though I know people do use it. 
This song has a kind of a standard chord progression. It's in D major. It's got a lot of B minors and A majors and Gs. You know, it's a lot of six, five, four, one. The chords themselves are fairly straightforward, even though this is actually a fairly elaborate composition that doesn't follow a traditional form. But while the chords look kind of standard if you just wrote them out on a lead sheet, if you play the exact part that Jeff Buckley is playing, you get something that sounds very distinct. And this song sounds very distinct, and it's all tied up in how he has his guitar tune. So let me break that down. A standard guitar tuning, as I mentioned in the intro, goes from bottom to top. It goes E, A, D, G, B, and E. So there are E's on the top and the bottom, and then you've got, you know, an A, a D, a G, and a B, so kind of a variety of different notes in the middle. Now, guitar's tuning matters in part because of the strings you can leave ringing while you play things. So if you're going to play kind of standard guitar figures that use open strings, if you're tuned in a standard tuning, you know, you have that B string or maybe the G string. If you're playing in G, you can leave that G string ringing. Um, And you have, because of the open strings that are available to you based on the tuning that you're using, different options. Now, Last Goodbye's tuning is pretty different. So the bottom string, instead of an E, it's a D. It's down a step. The next string up, instead of an A, it's a G, so it's also down a step. The next string is a D, as usual. The next string is a G, as usual. The next string is a B, as usual. And the top string, instead of being an E, that's also a D. So it's a really different sound. You're going D, G, D, G, B, D, which is essentially a big G major chord that the guitar is now ringing out on. It's a, it's such a different sound. You can hear it immediately. If you just play, if I play my standard tuned guitar, just all the open strings, it sounds like this. And when I play my retuned Telecaster, which is tuned to Buckley's alternative tuning, it sounds like this. That's a really different sound, and it opens up the guitar to doing all of these interesting things that just sound a little bit different than most guitar parts that you'll hear. That tuning is central to the spaciousness of this recording. This song has this huge sense of space. It's this like dreamlike floating sound, and so much of it comes from that tuning. When the full band comes in, I mean, just listen to the way they sound. They're playing essentially a big open D sus sound. It's basically a bunch of Ds and octaves with some Gs in there. And the reason it sounds so big is because of the guitar. Listen and try to listen for what the guitars are doing. There are a bunch of guitars in, electric guitar, acoustic guitar. Just try to hear what's going on. Man, okay, so first of all, I love that drum hit that sets that up. Man, that's Matt Johnson on the drums. The way they've got the drums mixed, it's just this monster hit, like echoing through a canyon. It's just ridiculous. Um, but once the band comes in, you know, there's just this big, big sound, and that's largely due to the guitar tuning. So there's a few different guitar tracks in here, and I want to try to recreate the soundscape of this intro for you, just so you can get a sense of the instruments that are playing, because it's mostly it's a bunch of overdubbed guitars with drums and bass really holding it down. But once you can kind of hear those pieces, you'll be able to hear everything for the rest of the recording. So the electric and acoustic guitar are both in, and he's playing something where he's got three fingers set up on the 12th fret, and it's letting him do this big ringing chord that sounds like this. He's playing the same thing on his Telecaster on electric and that sounds like this. So when you put them together and you pan them left and right you get this very big sound sounds like this. 
So the reason that tuning is key to that is because of how many open strings are ringing. There's a low D, remember, because he's dropped that bottom string down to D. So there's kind of just this pedal tone on a D just ringing away there on the bottom. And the whole thing is this big, wide open, multi-octave D sus chord that if you played it on piano would sound kind of like this. Now you could kind of get a sound like that with standard tuning on an acoustic guitar, but it wouldn't quite sound the same. So when you hear him strumming and he's playing with this odd tuning, it just sounds bigger because the notes that are ringing out are slightly different. So the drums meanwhile are in on this just really simple kind of grandiose rock beat while the bass is kind of pedaling this D playing a line kind of like this. which just adds to the sense of space. You know, this big D down in the bass, boom, 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 like he's just jumping octaves. And it really just makes things sound so big and open. On top of those strum parts, there's even some more guitar parts in there. There's one guitar that's just holding a D and it just sustains that note throughout this section. It kind of builds, I think you might be using an ebo or something like that to sustain the note. And there's another guitar part that comes in just playing an A, almost like a chiming bell, to slightly expand the soundscape. So listen back to it once the band has fully come in and just pay attention for all of that. Listen for those extra guitar parts, listen to what the bass is playing, listen to the space and the drums, and just take it all in. And from there, it's time for the riff. Alright, so a pretty long intro, really. This song kind of takes its time getting to the melody, but what it does in that time is establish a lot of the pieces that then are used and sort of rearranged throughout the rest of the song. One of the very important pieces of this song is that big open D sus that we already broke down, where the guitars are just kind of strumming on those big open chords and the bass is laying down that pedal. That's a big kind of defining sound of the song. It happens a lot throughout the rest of the recording, but the other one is the riff that we just heard. It's a collection of four chords that really only moves the way that it does because of the way the guitar has been tuned yet again. And it's kind of cool what's going on. If you play it on piano, it's much different than if you play it on guitar. So on guitar, you can actually kind of flop your hand around on the neck to play this because you're just muting straight across a fret and playing open strings. This, I'm not gonna spend too much longer on the guitar stuff because it's sort of hard to visualize, but what you're doing is basically just pressing one finger to play the bass note and then you press your other finger down across the fretboard on a different fret for each, you know, for each chord, and you just play those, those notes together and you get a kind of a power chord. So when you put them together, you get, and this first chord is an F sharp in the bass with an A power chord up above it. From there, the riff keeps the same shape, it just slides up the neck a minor third and you play an A in the bass and a C power chord up above it. Then it drops down, you play an E in the bass with a G power chord up above it, 
and then it slides up and you play a B in the bass with a D power chord up above it. So each time you're playing a note in the bass and then going up a minor third and playing a power chord, which is just root, fifth, root. And it kind of comes out to being almost a minor seventh chord. If you played this on piano, it would kind of be like F sharp minor seven to A minor seven to E minor seven to B minor seven. But when you play it on guitar, it just sounds so different, especially with that tuning. It gives it this kind of more riffy, kind of stranger sound that just doesn't quite sound like any other song. That's extra true if you double it on the acoustic guitar and also on the bass with the drums kind of playing that rock groove. Let me see if I can kind of recreate that using all of my own instruments. My point here isn't to do a guitar lesson to teach you how to play this song. Lord knows I can't even play it well enough to do that. I mean, I'm sure I've got some small things wrong in this guitar part. I'm not trying to provide some definitive account. There are a lot of buckleyologists out there who know all these guitar parts and are probably hearing things that, you know, I could be a little bit more specific about or that I have slightly wrong. But my goal isn't to provide, you know, an authoritative oral transcription of this guitar part. Um, it's more to just illustrate the way that Jeff Buckley was good at guitar because you can be good at guitar in a lot of different ways, and I think that Jeff Buckley was good at guitar in a very interesting one. He wasn't a shredder, you know, he wasn't doing a whole bunch of finger-tapping stuff down the neck. He wasn't good in that kind of Steve Vai, Angus Young showy way. He was just very creative, and he was always coming up with interesting sounds, and as a result, his songs didn't really sound like anybody else's songs, and that is certainly true of Last Goodbye. So with all those lovely guitar parts out of the way, let's get to the singing. This is our last goodbye. I hate to feel the love between us die. But it's over. Just do this and then I'll go. You gave me more to live for. More than your hell. At first listen, Last Goodbye sounds like it follows a more traditional song form than the first two songs on Grace, namely Mojo Pin and Grace, both of which are pretty unusual in terms of form and, and really kind of noticeably unusual, where Last Goodbye feels, at least when you first hear it, like it's doing something a little bit more standard. However, this song's form is actually a lot more unusual and interesting than it sounds like at first, and it, it, it's almost a through-composed song in a weird sort of way. It reuses a few sort of melodic and harmonic ideas, but it but it recontextualizes them each time and makes some sort of a change where it's kind of constantly shifting and evolving into something slightly more complex and slightly higher energy as it builds and builds and builds towards the climax. Now, I actually can't break down every single nuance of every section in this episode or it would be like way too long and just way too granular. So instead, I want to give you four components of this song to keep in your ear that you can then use when you're listening back to it to kind of orient yourself and figure out how he's fit everything together. So those four components are there's home, there's the riff, 
there's the verse, and there's the dark groove. There's also a bridge that is its own thing. It's a little bit like the verse chord progression, but that's its own thing. That's kind of the climax of the song, and that happens later. So we haven't talked about the verse and the dark groove yet. We'll get to those in a moment. Let's start with home and the riff, which we've actually already covered. So home is anytime the song is on that big, huge D sound. And this is like some kind of a just big, open D, sus, you know, just big ringing chords, big big guitars. This is the strings will come in later on and play over this. The song always returns to this sound, this big open D sound. So I think of that as home. This is when the song arrives home. So at the end of almost every section in this song, they return to that groove and that sound. They return home. The next thing is the riff, which we've also already covered. We just covered it. That's that riff, those four chords moving up the neck of the guitar. That happens a lot in the song, and actually a lot of interesting things happen over it. It doesn't always stand alone the way that it does during the intro to the song, but again, this is what it sounds like standing alone. This is the riff. Right, so we've covered home and we've covered the riff that leaves the verse and the dark groove. So let's get into the verse first. You just heard it. The verse is actually where he sings, this is our last goodbye. And it's the most kind of traditional chord progression in the song. This is our last goodbye. I hate to feel the love between us But it's over. Just do this and then I'll go You gave me more to live for More than your hell So that first chord progression is very nice. It starts out on that home place of that big D sus chord, but then quickly kind of moves down through B minor to A, down to E minor, then walks up to G, then returns to D. And it kind of walks down. And then it returns home. What's cool also is that he's singing the melody in a different place on the first verse than he sings it on the second verse. He begins the song on an A and kind of sings down from there. It sounds like this. This is our last goodbye. So let's skip forward to the second verse, which follows the same basic chord progression as the first verse, but has a basically completely different melody. Listen to how he starts the second verse. This is our last So that's the first and most obvious development that this song undergoes is he, he sings you through the verse and he sings it nice down in the very middle of his register and then for the second verse he just alights up to this D and sings a completely different phrase over the same chord progression. Now, in addition to that beautiful higher sung melody, you're also probably hearing another instrument over on the right, and that is the cello. This is the first of Carl Berger's string parts to come in, and uh, this is a really beautiful cello line that just sort of goes downward in contrast to the melody that Buckley is singing. Listen one more time to that verse, and I will play along with the cello on the piano just so you can hear it a little bit more. It's over on the right, and it's pretty easy to hear. This is our last Can't 
love that line. I love the way that that line ends. It's pretty much just a D major scale. It just starts up on A and it walks down to an F sharp down the D major scale. But I love the way that it ends on that little dip. It goes down to E and then up to resolve on the F sharp. What a beautiful delayed resolution. So from the end of that second verse, we actually set up the last of the of the components that I want you to keep in your head, and that is the dark groove. The dark groove turns up a couple of places and is very cool. They actually get into it, though, by playing a sort of restated version of the riff, that but they do it, um, they kind of walk down into the dark groove, so listen for that. All right, here we go. All right, so the dark groove. The dark groove totally rules. It turns up at a couple of cool places in this song. And it's another one of these things that really only sounds the way that it does because of the guitar tuning. It's basically an F power chord over D, so it's like a D minor 7 thing. But it just really emphasizes that flat 7th and that flat 3rd. It almost sounds like a sharp 9 chord, which is sort of a bluesy sound. It just really, it really lets him dig in on this cool shape on the guitar. Couple that with a straightforward rock groove on the drums with an open hi-hat just kind of sloshing open. Really opens things up and it gives you this nice kind of gritty sound. Alright, so that's the fourth component. That's the last thing to really keep in mind as you listen to this song. That's the dark groove. So we've heard home, which is the big open D chord. We've heard the riff, which we're about to go back to and get a whole new take on the riff. We've heard the verse, which is that verse chord progression that sort of moves through the D to the B minor to the A to the E to the G. And now we've heard the dark groove, which is just that kind of D minor seventh thing, that inverted F power chord over D that gives you that just funky sound. So the next two sections of the song start to to give a sense of how he begins to repurpose all of those components in really amazing ways. So we're on the dark groove, and I'm going to pick it up on the dark groove, but from there, they're going to go back into the riff. So we're going to go into that four chord riff section, but it sounds completely different thanks to the orchestration. So what we're going to do is we'll go from the dark groove into the riff, and then back home. And as we do that, listen for all the new things that are going on, particularly over this next upcoming riff section, and then we'll go back and sort of take it apart and look at what what he's doing that's new. All right, here comes the riff. Ears on. It's 
so good. So that's back home. We've come back to that big open D section. It's not actually harmonically very different from anything that happened earlier in the song, but it sounds like a completely different section of the song because of what's happening over those chords. So for starters, there's this beautiful descending cello line going on that's really actually pretty simple. It just repeats itself down the octave and moves through the chord progression as Buckley sings. It's this beautiful counter melody that when combined with Buckley's melody, which we'll do in a minute here, the, his sung melody, it totally recontextualizes this whole section. I mean, when you first hear this section, to me at least, it sounds kind of like a rockin' groove. But remember, when I just played the chords and kind of took the guitariness out of it, it sounded kind of different. So if I just play this on piano as those sort of minor seventh chords, it gets this spacious, beautiful sound that's actually pretty different, even though it's the same four chords. So let's hear those four chords played like that on piano with the cello counter melody going as well. So by actually removing the guitar, even though it's playing on the recording, you can start to bring out the other qualities of this chord progression that he's finding in it, and then emphasizing with that cello counter melody, and then of course with his main melody as well. So let's do the same thing with the piano, the cello counter melody, and I'll just whistle his melody on top of it so you can hear them all together. sometimes you listen to rock songs and they all kind of sound the same. You know, they use a lot of the same kinds of chord progressions and there's not a whole lot different between them. And you like maybe the person's voice or the way that this one song holds together or that song holds together. But generally speaking, it's using a lot of the same ingredients as other songs. This is the kind of thing that makes Jeff Buckley's music so fascinating, is that he could take a section that sounded one way and completely transform it into something lush and expansive and beautiful just by slightly rearranging it, adding some new instruments and re-emphasizing different notes in the melody. So he can take what started as this and then the next time he plays it, it sounds like this. Kiss me, please kiss me, kiss me out of to me, is the genius of Jeff Buckley. So the entrance of the strings is kind of the main thing that differentiates this section from earlier sections in the song. There are a few other things, though, that also kind of open things up. Primarily in the drums, um, I believe the drums have gone over to the ride cymbal here, but there's this really nice shaker going kind of over in the left channel. It sounds like a big kind of gourd shaker or something. Beautiful sound that really ties the groove together. hear it over there on the left, just shaking away. Oh, 
That string interlude is so cool and so buckly. So the whole thing is happening over that home sound, right? Just a big open D sus sound, and the strings just kind of roam all around. But a thing to notice is that it isn't actually just the strings playing that melody. They're playing in octaves and they're moving around in this really beautiful kind of serpentine way. But there's a guitar actually playing along with them in octaves too. That's Buckley on guitar, and he's repurposing something that he does a lot when he plays live. When he plays a、uh, live solo specifically, let's go back to that live at Chennai recording of him doing the sort of sketch of this song and see what he does when he gets to what stands in for this section of the song when he's playing by himself, just him and the guitar. So this is a sound that he was really fond of, and it's something that he was able to do because, again, of the tuning that he's playing in, he could play these octaves above that droning low D and kind of slide around on them really quickly to create these melodies that they then later repurposed into the string part. So this isn't actually an entirely new string part. This is just a string section playing something that Buckley already played on guitar and doing it in an even more sort of elaborate and emphatic way to bring out the sliding nature of those octaves that he was already playing. It sounds really cool, and you can actually hear in the recording. You can hear the strings are playing, but that Telecaster is in there too. The guitar is playing those octaves along with them. It really comes out in the second half of the line. So listen to that section again and focus in on those strings on that melody. That the strings are playing, and try to hear those guitar attacks too as the guitar joins in. And the strings keep going into the next section. They change the shaker to a tambourine, though, over on the right. <laughs> Here we go. And here we arrive at the climax of the song. This is kind of a new section. I guess you could think of it as a bridge. I think of it as just the climax. And it's a heck of an arrival because it does something clever. It takes a similar sound in the guitar to that home sound. It's just a big D chord, and it actually does have a third, so it's a D major chord. Though he's constantly hammering on a G to make it into a sus, so it sounds kind of like this. So while the guitar is sort of sitting on that, the bass is playing this descending line underneath it. That, like so many things Buckley does, recontextualizes the chords that he's playing and adds this great sense of motion to this whole section. So the bass is going from D down to B to A to G, which is very straightforward. But because of what the guitar is playing, it sounds pretty cool. Let me play it again with pretty much that same shape throughout on the acoustic guitar. But I'll play the bass part on piano so you can hear how the bass moves and changes the harmony.
So if you picture the guitar as kind of a straight line and the bass as a line moving downward, that leaves us with Buckley's wonderful vocal part, which is moving upward. It's actually one of many examples of contrary motion where two melodies are moving in opposition to one another. In this case, the bass is just grandly descending while Buckley is soaring up higher and higher. Here, I'll whistle it again and listen to the whistled melody in contrast to the descending bass line. What a great melody. I love this whole section from here on to the end of the song. It's just so grand. It makes me picture this vast rolling countryside with bells ringing out and, of course, Jeff Buckley's voice soaring above it all. With this breakdown, it's time to set up what else but the riff. So that's yet another version of that riff that sounds pretty different than the other ones. You know, the cello comes in and kind of reprises its earlier part toward the end of the phrase there, and Jeff comes in on that great line, Who it didn't know. But really, it's just another time through that riff with different things happening over it. This song really is kind of built out of those four component parts with a few interesting, slightly different things connecting them. However, the next section we're going to talk about, which is actually the last section of the song, brings a whole bunch of new things to the table. It's kind of a big, long build to the dark groove, this sort of restatement of that dark groove with a really cool uh, vocal part sung over it. But it builds up to it in an interesting way. There's a D pedal going on and some cool chords moving as Buckley sings over it. Let's listen to that section one time. This is the build to the final dark groove. love this section. It totally rules. Um, it's basically all over a D pedal. So if you remember, a pedal tone just means that the bass is playing one note and the chords are moving around above that note. I first talked about this back on the Elton John episode because Elton John loves a good pedal tone. And Jeff Buckley, while a very different kind of a songwriter, also loves a good pedal tone. It's actually kind of funny since Elton John is such a piano-y writer and Jeff Buckley is such a guitar-y writer that they both have this penchant for pedal tones. So they start with just kind of an open D and it's just like a D over a D pedal. Then it goes down to a C over D, then a G over D, and then resolves back to D. I love that sound. It's very gospel, that C over D to G over D to D. Then they start this build. They go to an A over D, then just a regular D over D, then a D sus, and then a big D power chord that builds into that dark groove. (laughs) 
All right, all right, settle down, Kirk. So let's listen to it again, and then I want to pick out the string part, because what the strings play is very, very cool and works very well with the melody. So just listen to that section again, and this time try to hear those chords, even as the bass is pedaling, hear the way that the harmony is moving within the arrangement. So the strings are cool because while the guitar parts are playing through the harmony that I just outlined, the string line actually emphasizes the important tones in a lot of those changes, you know, especially that C and that C over D down to the B on the G over D. And you can actually just listen to the bass part and the strings and you'll hear pretty much all of the harmony even without any chords in the middle. Check it out. I'll play the bass part on piano and the strings just using a string sample. Even with just that pretty simple string part and a bass in the piano, you can actually hear the progression of the chords. Let's actually add in the melody because I love what Buckley sings over this. And I'm going to whistle the melody again so you can just hear it kind of decontextualized from his voice and the lyrics. And just listen to the way that the melody flows through that chord progression and builds alongside it. Sorry, sorry, I can't help myself. Okay, let's listen to Jeff sing it and um, just taking it through that whole build section and then we'll go through into the dark groove where he hits that high C and really lets us have it. sets up this beautiful ending. Those final few chords just knock me out. There's so much going on just in this final like couple of seconds of this song. It's pretty incredible. Listen to those last few bars and try to pay attention to everything that's going on. So we're in that dark groove, which is, you know, that that D minor seventh sound, and the bass is kind of rocking between the D and the C, and then the bass resolves to a D chord, and then slowly just climbs up and up and up until ending on this unexpected E. Listen back and just focus on the bass, pay attention to how the bass lands on that D, and then just slowly walks up a D scale before ending on an E. Oh 
really cool, right? Now as the bass moves up, the strings and the guitar are actually back to that octaves thing they were doing during the string interlude in the middle of the song, but they're heading down. They play a line that sounds like this. Listen this time and pay attention for that. They're in the middle, so I'll play along on piano so you can kind of hear them. on this beautiful suspended note that of course isn't quite the end of the song. It goes a little bit longer. So let's listen one more time to the end of this song, that dark groove with the high C and Buckley wailing out those high notes into the denouement of the song where they resolve to D before the bass goes up, the strings go down, and the vocals just kind of keep on going. Jeff Buckley holds a beautiful high note that resolves ever so much higher. Last goodbye comes to an end. If you look at a photo of him, Jeff Buckley could be just another singer-songwriter. Another guy on another stage with a guitar singing into a microphone. But his genius went beyond his incredible voice and those amazing high notes. It was in the guts of his music, of the songs he spent years experimenting with and developing, as he methodically hammered raw musical material into something intricately designed and beautifully polished. Jeff Buckley left us far too soon. He also left a towering musical legacy, but I can't help but wish I could have heard what might have been if he'd lived just a little bit longer. At least we have Grace, at least we have his live recordings, at least we have the songs that we do. A beautiful collection of musical moments that, unlike the rest of us, really will live forever. And that'll do it for my analysis of Jeff Buckley's Last Goodbye, an immaculate song from an incredible album. Really, really go listen to Grace after this if you haven't listened to it recently. Thanks so much to everyone who's been spreading the word about the show. Thanks so much to everybody who signed up to become a patron. If you want to support me making this show, I hope you'll go over to patreon.com slash strong songs and uh, just give it a look. I want to keep making this show forever and you're all making it possible for me to even consider doing that, which is pretty incredible. So thanks to all of my patrons. And, you know, thanks to all of you for listening. I really, I hope that you're all taking care and staying safe out there. This episode's outro solos is the one and only Mr. Dan Nervo on guitar, someone who actually taught me a lot of the guitar parts from Last Goodbye back in the day. So stick around for Dan, and I'll be back in two weeks with yet another strong song. <laughs>